Amen. Good morning. I think it's so cool and important for us to be singing those songs. I find myself on su- Sunday mornings, even this morning, was just, it was kind of that feeling of, you know, when you have, you've had weird dreams, you know, throughout the night, and then and you wake up and you're like, oh, okay, I'm back to normal, back to reality. And I feel like singing these songs about God's greatness, about who he is and what he's done, it actually brings us back to reality. It kind of brings us back to, to some, some sanity. Okay, God is great. Because I've lived my whole week feeling as though he's not, and I've been, I've been experiencing a lot of different ups and downs throughout the week, and so it's just good to come back and to sing and just to kind of to tune our hearts to him, be reminded that he's great. And so I'm just thankful to be here this morning with you guys. So, who's ready for the partial eclipse tomorrow? <laughs> yeah! Pretty exciting. I actually saw a uh, funny story online about a lady who got invited to an eclipse party, and her response was, hey, can we move it to the weekend? Because I have to work on Monday. <laughs> Things like that are, make me love the internet. <laughs> I love it. Now, it's good to be back up, uh, up here again this week, back together with you. Um, it's cool to be able to preach two weeks in a row. And, uh, or maybe I should say I'm sorry. I don't <laughs> want to. But today, what we'll uh, get to do is we're going to be looking at one of the final sections of, our, uh, of the book of Philippians. Next week, the series is wrapping up. Ryan will be back then. Uh, but today, we get to look at a section that actually contains another, yes, another one of, the, one of the famous verses that gets misquoted and taken out of context a lot. Last week, we looked at Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this week's verse has two adorned the sides of coffee mugs. It's been printed on keychains. It's been printed on t-shirts. I'm not wearing one this morning, but believe me, there's lots of them out there. And uh, the verse I'm talking about is Philippians 4.19 which says, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Someone came up to me after the service last week and said, they, they had seen someone posted on Facebook. They said, um, someone posted, I can do all things through a verse I take out of context. <laughs> Pretty true. Well, like other well-known verses, Philippians 4.19, that, this verse gets taken out of context a lot as well. You know, some use this verse as their life verse. Oh, that's my life verse. And they use it to claim that God will, ne- will uh, he'll make them rich. That he'll never uh, give you, you will never be in any need or any, you'll never be in want. So if you just name it and claim it, you can have whatever you want. Philippians 4.19 is actually a golden nugget verse for, for people who, who believe and teach what is known as the prosperity gospel. You know, the prosperity gospel camp, they, uh, they believe that God wants you to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and to never suffer. In fact, if you're suffering for whatever reason, the gospel prosperity, or the prosperity gospel, people might tell you, you are sinning. That's the reason you're suffering is because you're probably sinning and you just don't have enough faith. So the prosperity gospel teaches that through your faith, you can obtain anything you want, such as health, wealth, and any form of personal success. 
So the belief that God, this belief that God wants me to be happy, he wants me to be healthy, he wants me to be wealthy, this is uh, sometimes it's maybe inferred or subtle, you know, in our culture, in, in Christian circles, but at other times it's rather explicit and overt. Here's a quote from Mary J. Blige, singer, songwriter, and rapper. She says, my God is a God who wants me to have things. He wants me to bling. He wants me to be the hottest thing on the block. I don't know what kind of God the rest of y'all are serving, but the God I serve says, Mary, you need to be the hottest thing this year, and I'm going to make sure that you're doing that. And I quote. Well, you know what? I wish, I wish somebody would have told the Apostle Paul that. (laughs) That would have been great. Yo, P, you don't need to be in jail, bro. You have a little faith, God will hook you up. God has a better plan for your life, bro. Maybe someone did tell Paul that and he just didn't get the memo. Now, what we've seen through Philippians is that, uh, that Paul, is, he's learning to rejoice in God in, in any and every circumstance, in any and every situation. And the measure of his life wasn't based upon what he had or what he didn't have. Paul viewed his plight and his predicament as God's means of advancing the gospel. And for Paul, that was a win. He viewed his plight and his predicament as God's way of of advancing the gospel. And that was a win. And we saw last week that that, uh, Paul's contentment wasn't, wasn't tethered to his changing circumstances, but to his unchanging Christ. Paul had learned the secret of contentment and it had nothing to do with his bling or lack of it. Sorry, Mary J. Blige. And so Philippians 4.19, as tempting as it might be to make it mean whatever we want it to mean, to make it a prosperity verse, when we look at it in context, we'll see that it can't mean that. So once again, context matters. And I believe that today, when we look at this verse in context, we will actually begin to gain a, 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 just a bigger and brighter view of who God is. When we see this verse and we look at it in context and we, we, we study it, I think what's going to happen is that it will set you and I free from an area, in an area of our life, where many of us, including myself, need to be set free. And that is in the area of our generosity. So, now, last week and this week are intricately connected. In, in some sense, they're two sides of the same gospel coin, if you will. If last week was about learning what it means to be content despite all of your circumstances and despite whatever resources you have, you have a lot or a little, learning to be content in that, this week we get to see a picture of the ways in which God actually uses our resources, the things that we have, to bless and to provide. So I think it's important that we see today that what Paul is saying here, it's flowing out from what he has previously said. You know, in the previous paragraph, Paul was, he was kind of, remember, he was doing that awkward thing of, he was trying to say, thank you so much for your gift, and then at the same time saying, I actually didn't need it, which is a little bit awkward. But he's doing that to, to show them 
a greater reality, a bigger truth, and that was that his contentment wasn't based upon his circumstances. His contentment was not tethered to his circumstances. He had learned the secret of contentment. He had learned that in Christ, he had everything that he needed. Whether in seasons of plenty or seasons of desperation and great need. He found that the vertical truth of his union to Christ gave him the strength to face whatever ups and downs came horizontally. His vertical union gave him the strength to face horizontally whatever came his way. That was the secret that he wanted them to know. But here's the thing, if Paul had just stopped there, if he had just stopped and said, I've learned to be content. I've learned whether I have a lot of things or have very little, whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry. Like, I've learned to be content. No matter what the circumstances are, I, have, I can be content. And if he had stopped there, that might even lead us as the readers, his audience, to conclude that our stuff doesn't matter. If he had stopped there, that might lead us to conclude that our stuff, our money, our possessions don't really play a role in the grand scheme of things. But what we'll see today is that Paul continues on from where he was last week to to express gratitude. And Paul explains that their generosity, the Philippians, their generosity to him was good, that their gift to him had purpose. And so the question is, when our contentment and our satisfaction are fully found in Christ, who strengthens us, What does life on the ground begin to look like? When our satisfaction is is fully, fully found in Christ, what does life on the ground begin to look like? If our contentment isn't found in our things, our money, our possessions, well then what role do those things play? What what function does our stuff, does our money and our, our possessions have? And so there's a lot of crossover from what we covered last week and what we'll cover today. I think some of you might even think, this sounds like the same sermon. And I'd say, awesome. (laughs) I heard a preacher once say, as preachers, we're not called to say a thousand different things. We're called to say one thing a thousand different ways. And I love that. You know, the Bible has a bunch of stories in it. There's a bunch of stories in the Bible And it seems that the Bible might be saying many different things. But really, the Bible is one big story and points to one person. The Bible tells a story of God's rescue plan. And it prepares the way and it points to its central figure, which is Jesus, the rescuer. So the Bible isn't saying a thousand different things. Rather, it is pointing to Jesus in a thousand different ways. And so I say we do the same thing. I'll have to say there's going to be some crossover from what we covered last week, but let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out. You can turn them on, open them up, whatever you do. Let's look at Philippians 4. And then let's stand in honor of reading God's word together. Philippians 4, verses 14 through 19. Paul writes this. He says, Nevertheless, You have done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Now that 
not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that that truth, the truth of the gospel, the truth of who you are would be just pressed in down deep into our souls, Lord. I pray that we would be set free and that we would see uh, just how much more incredibly beautiful, wonderful, and gracious that Jesus is. That we'd see Jesus as far more beautiful than our stuff. I pray that the truth of the gospel would, would set us free this morning, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, just a heads up. Today's sermon is brought to you by the letter P. I want to look at three things today. I want to look at the picture, the problem, and the promise. may sound kind of mysterious to you at the moment, but they'll make sense as we go. So first off, the picture. These verses that we just read, really, they're providing for us a picture of several things. And one of those things it's providing a picture of, it's providing a picture of what a generous church looks like. You know, Paul had a lot of history with the Philippians. They, they go way back. And he seems to really brag on them a lot. And as we read in this section, we start to get a, a picture of how God actually used their generosity to meet his needs. You know, he said, I, I, I've learned to be content, but what's cool here is that he's saying, your gift actually met my needs. He's giving us a picture of how God used the, this church and their generosity in the life and ministry of Paul. And we see this in several different ways. First, one of the ways that we see is that they remembered him. You know, isn't it great to, you know, to be remembered? It's, I think it, it, it's hard when, when, uh, when people, when you feel overlooked. It's great when someone remembers you, when someone takes notice of you. Just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were, the young adults, our group was out to dinner, and we're having just a great old time at dinner, and then we're like, hey, we should go get frozen yogurt. And we're like, that's a great idea. And so we all get up, and we all walk down the street to get frozen yogurt. Little did we know, uh, one of our young adults was in the bathroom at the time. <laughs> so she comes out, and then just no one's there. An empty table. How sad is that? I'm, I'm pretty sure a tumbleweed like rolled by shortly after that. No, well, and she ended up finding us. Everything worked out great. But it's, uh, it's, not, it's never fun to be forgotten. We all want to be remembered. And what's cool is back in verse 10, which we looked at last week, Paul said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. He's rejoicing that they remembered him. And it's crazy to think about this, that we remember the Philippians today because they remembered Paul. We remember them because they remembered him. But they didn't just stop there. They didn't just stop with merely remembering Paul. They acted. They shared in his troubles. That's the second thing here. They, they shared in his troubles. In verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. So they jumped in. And from there, Paul, he, kind of, he begins to kind of go down memory lane with them a bit. 
He says he can remember back to the early days how there were times when no other churches were there to, to support and to share with Paul except them, the Philippians. They had sent aid his way over and over and it wasn't just a one-time thing. They had been consistent and they'd been, and been faithful over the years. They were like, they were like his sponsors. They probably had a, a little picture of Paul in their fridge. Like, <laughs> we're supporting that guy. The Philippians had a reputation of generosity. So writing to a different church about the Philippians, Paul's he's going on a little brag. He's in brag mode here about the Philippians. He writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4. He wants them to know about this church in Philippi. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Again, Macedonia is where Philippi was. Uh, in, mid, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. So that's pretty impressive. This was a church that, were, that weren't giving out of their plenty, but their poverty. And this is way backwards from what you and I normally think and do. You know, I'll even just say, just me, I'll, I'll throw myself under the bus here. You know, my default mode is self-preservation and, and self-protection. The last thing that I want to do, honestly, the last thing I want to do when I'm in the midst of a, of a very severe trial is to help others. I'm too busy and too concerned about meeting my own needs. I'm trying to make sure that my own needs are taken care of. But what we see here, in, in, the Philippians were begging, they were pleading with Paul for the opportunity and privilege of sharing in the progress of the gospel. So they remembered him and they shared with him. And we all, all of us, we all need people in our lives to share with us, not just in the good stuff, not just when things are well, but also in the mess. In, in those times of need, of great peril, in our affliction, we need people. And what we see here is that the way that God uses one another to meet those needs. He's, it's, uh, God cares for the body of Christ through the body of Christ. And one of the ways that God cared for Paul and met his needs was, was through the Philippians and their generosity. Again, God, he uses the body of Christ. He, he cares for, for each, each of one of us through us. And so what are some practical ways that this happens? I thought I would just keep with the P theme this morning. So I've got four Ps for you. The first one is, uh, and these are things that we ought to do, that we ought to share with each other. And the first one's prayer. I know this might seem obvious, but prayer is huge. I heard uh, someone once say that prayer isn't our last resort. It's our highest appeal. We treat it a lot of times as our last resort. Okay, I've tried everything. All right, I guess let's pray. We can try praying. You know, but prayer isn't our last resort. It's our highest appeal. It's not what we do when we've exhausted all of our options. It's where we start, and we need people to be praying for us. 
praying with us. And that can be such an amazing gift. And one thing I've been trying to do, and I'm, I'm really bad at it, and I'm trying to get better, is the idea of like, doing, like stop and pray. Don't just say you'll pray. Pray for you, bro. See you later. And I'm off. Like, but no, like, actually stopping and praying. And uh, not just like talking about it, but just stop and do it. And, and I, again, like, I'm trying to, I don't do that well. But I think that's a gift. So prayer, that's the first thing. The second thing is possessions. We can share our possessions. We have to remember that everything that we've been given, everything that we have, is, it's a gift from God. You and I, we are owners of nothing and stewards, stewards of everything. Everything that he has given to us, we are meant to be stewards of, not owners. And what we see here in Philippians is that God uses the resources of the church in Philippi to meet the needs of Paul. Again, he cares for the body of Christ through the body of Christ. You know, I've spent a lot of time reflecting over the last couple months just how incredible God has been to both Paige and I through the body of Seacoast. You know, God has used Seacoast to literally be his tangible presence in our life. And I recently was thinking about this. I recently graduated and it just kind of caused me to have some time of reflection. And I was like thinking about how many different people have, have God's brought into my life to, to help encourage me like spiritually, emotionally, who've come and they've even helped out in great ways financially at, at just the right time. It, it was just amazing just to kind of look back and see this journey would not have happened. It would not be possible without God using the church use the, and the body being the body. That's my story. I'm sure that you guys have a lot of your own stories about how God has shown up in very practical ways in your mess, in your trials, when, you, when you've been at the end of your rope. So that's, and that's possessions. The, the third one is presence. You know, just being with each other in times of trials and in the messiness of life can be such an amazing gift. You know, it's been pretty difficult. Uh, it's been a difficult season of, as Paige and I have had to navigate through the pain of experiencing several miscarriages over the last couple of years. It's been difficult. But I'm so thankful, so thankful for the way that God has loved us and continues to love us through the loving and patient presence of others. And especially for the women who have been there to just, to just be with Paige. To just be. Not trying to fix anything, but just making their presence available. It's been huge. So these are ways that we, we can and we ought to, to share with one another through prayer, possessions, through our presence. And the fourth one is pancakes. <laughs> Just kidding. I do like pancakes. Now the last one is through partnership. And this is one of the things, partnerships, it's one of those things that Paul's been rejoicing and talking about a lot through the book of Philippians. Yes, you see, it's important to have prayer, absolutely. It's great when people share their possessions and their resources, 100%, for sure. It's healing and incredibly encouraging when people share their presence, absolutely. But what brings it all together is partnership. And partnership happens when you and I, we are all in together. 
You know, this reminds me back, you know, when Paige and I were dating, there were, there were times where we would pray for each other. There was a lot of sharing and, and you know, like giving time to one another. But the, uh, that wasn't enough for me. What I wanted was a partner. I wanted someone who could join me in the trenches. Someone who was all in. All in and someone who's going in the same direction that I was. And when finding that partnership, that was a true gift. And that's what Paul's rejoicing about here with the Philippians. They've been his faithful partners in the progress of the gospel. And so everything that Paul writes here as he is describing the Philippians is really, it's giving us a picture of what, of what life ought to look like, what ought to shape and describe all of us. We ought to be remembering others, sharing with, with others, being consistent and faithful in doing so, praying, giving of our possessions, giving of our time and our presence, and partnership for the gospel. We, we ought to be doing all of those things. The question is, are we? Are those things an, an accurate description of you, of us? And the problem is, if I'm being honest, the more that I look at this picture of what the Philippian church looked like and how they acted and all of that, the more that I look at that picture, the more I see just how much I fail to actually live that out. And this brings us to the problem. You see, God's word is, it's both, it's a picture. It's a, providing us an image of what life ought to look like. But it's also a mirror. It's also a mirror that reflects back our own lives and the areas in our own lives where we still need to grow, where we still need to be transformed. It's both a picture and a mirror. And what this mirror reveals in me is, is a problem. You know, I'll be honest, if I was to look at that list of things and I was to grade myself, you know, okay, how am I doing in this my spiritual GPA would, would probably be horrible. It would not be very impressive at all. I mean, and you can ask yourself these questions too. How, how am I doing at remembering and thinking of the needs of others? Truthfully, I'm, if I just take this past week as an example, I was far more concerned about myself and what I needed, my own needs. You know, and, and when I give, a lot of times, I'm just putting my cards on the table here for you guys. I'm just going, here it is. When I give, it's usually transactional at heart. I'm giving in order to get. It's this transactional nature to, to that. So, also, how am I doing at being consistent and faithful in my giving and sharing? How, do I pray for others or just myself? I came across this tweet and it kind of just wrecked me a little bit. Uh, a guy named Will Mancini recently tweeted this. If God answered all your prayers and gave you everything you were asking for, would anyone else's life be changed or just your own? That's convicting. How am I doing at sharing my possessions, my money, and my resources? Do I spend more time strategizing on how I can get or how I can give? You know, this, this attitude it rolls over into the everyday uh, stuff of life. You know, even the little things. You know, like, okay, when you, got, when, you, when you fly southwest, okay, first of all, you, 
you're booking your ticket, and you, you, have to do, you have to check in, right? So you're doing everything that you can so that you check in nice and early, you know, and you don't want to get the B or C, you know, like you don't want to be back with the peasants, you know. <laughs> you want to be in the A group, right? Okay, so you've done, you've done everything that you can to check in as early as possible, and now you're at the airport, you're in line, you're boarding. How many of you are looking at the tickets of other people? You're like, what is that, B? Get, you peasant, get back! How many people are cutting? You know, like, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at people's tickets. So we all have a hard time giving up stuff and giving up our place for the sake of others. So again, just going through this list of things, it just, it, this picture of what we ought to be doing, how we ought to be living, it reveals in my own life, my own heart, just how little I do it how much I fail to, to live up to what I'm actually called to do. Again, my spiritual GPA is not looking good. The question is, what is the solution to the problem? What's the solution? Now, the temptation at this point is to conclude, okay, so here's what God says. We'll just do it. Just do it. Do more. Try harder. This is what God wants you to do, so just do it. Come on, get your act together. Get your act together, take some notes, come on, and just do it. But the problem with that is, well, the problem goes a lot deeper than we realize. And just doing more and trying harder doesn't solve anything. If anything, it just perpetuates the problem. So we need to get to the heart of the matter. We need to ask the question, why? Why is giving such a struggle? Why do I play it safe so much? Why do I hoard? Why am I stingy? What is it that holds me back? What is it that holds us back from living a life of radical generosity? So what is the heart of the problem? Well, Scripture tells us that the heart of the problem is sin. The heart of the problem is sin. And on the surface, sin manifests itself in in disobedience to God's commands. God says this, I do this. You know, it's sin, it's disobedience. But at the core, underneath, there's something fueling that. We don't just choose, like, I'm just going to disobey. I wanna, there's something going on underneath the surface. At the core, underneath the, surface, underneath the surface, what we see is disobedience is the result of disbelief. Let me unpack that just for a little bit. Every single sin can be traced back to disbelief. Disbelief in in who God is, what God has said, and what he has done. And this disbelief in who God is, what he said, what he's done, disbelief, which leads to disobedience, this disbelief goes all the way back, all the way back to Genesis 3, in the garden, the fall of man. When sin entered the world, it entered because of disbelief and distrust in who God is. You know, the question that the serpent asked them was like, did God really say not to eat? Did he really say that? You know, he, he, he doesn't want you guys to have what he has. He doesn't want you to have what he has. God is holding out on you. And the thing is, that <laughs> produced and birthed disbelief. And we believed it. Hook, line, and sinker. We believed it. And ever since the garden, self-reliance has become our default mode of operation. 
We all naturally veer towards self-reliance. We're all prone to wander. Martin Luther once said this. He said, the sin underneath all sins is the lie that we cannot trust the love and grace of Jesus and that, and that we must take matters into our own hands. That underneath it all, the sin underneath all sins is that we cannot trust God. We can't trust the love and grace of Jesus. That it's unbelief. It's disbelief in who God is. So at the very core, underneath every sin is the sin of unbelief in the gospel. Unbelief that what Jesus has done and what he provides is enough. And when we don't believe in what, that Jesus is enough and what God has, like the things that God has said and who he is and what he's done, when we stop believing that, when we don't believe that, we begin to turn into, get into self-salvation mode. We begin to try to rescue ourselves. God can't be trusted, so therefore I need to do it on my own. And the reason it is so hard to give sacrificially to others is because we are at some level believing that our worth and identity depends on having that thing. When we place all of our, our identity, our worth, and everything into things, our possessions, our money and stuff, we can't give away our identity. In a sense, many of us have given our money and our things the wrong job description. We've told our money and our resources that their job is to satisfy, to fulfill our hungry hearts. We've placed an expectation on our stuff, our things, on, even on people to, to make our lives count, to make my life matter. The thing is, those things were never intended to do that. They can't. God never intended for us to find our satisfaction and fulfillment in our stuff, in our money, our possessions. He intended for us to find our fulfillment in him and his promises. And I said it last week, I'll say it again, the fight of the Christian faith is the fight to believe that Jesus is enough. It's a belief issue. It's a belief issue. The problem is unbelief. The solution is belief. But belief in what? Belief in God's promises. The question is, what has God promised? And this is where verse 19 comes in. Paul says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, what would life begin to look like if we actually believed that? that God would meet our needs? What would life begin to look like if we really believed that, that God supplies all of our needs? I feel like, I think the reason that we resist giving is ultimately due to the fact that at some level we don't believe God. We have unbelief. But Paul wants the church in Philippi to know that they are in the supremely capable hands of God. And so are we. Notice that God supplies not according to our need, whatever that is, but according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul was just echoing a truth that Jesus actually had taught a few decades earlier. In Luke 12, Jesus says to his disciples, he says this, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat 
or about your body and what you will wear. For life is, is more, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass on the field, which is here today and then tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Unbelief. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things. And your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is describing the, the reality that everything we truly need, we can trust God to provide. God knows our needs. And Jesus there, he's reminding us that the vertical reality of God's love and provision for us is all that we need to face the horizontal ups and downs of life that we face, all the horizontal needs. In fact, in the person of Christ, God met all of our vertical needs by reconciling us to himself, by bringing us back into a relationship with himself. And so he's gonna also is faithful to supply all of our horizontal needs as well. And so Paul is reminding his friends in Philippi and us today that because of what God has done, because of, of what Jesus has accomplished, we can spend our lives giving versus taking. I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Our vertical needs have been, have been taken care of. This is, that, it, this is describing that great exchange that happened. He became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. And that's the gospel. And, and check it out. When we live uh, our lives to give rather than take, when we begin to do that, to live that out horizontally, what's so amazing is that we are literally putting the gospel on display. And by giving, by giving, our generosity is a literal expression that of our trust in Christ and our dependence on him. By giving sacrificially, we are saying with our lips and our lives I believe that Christ is enough and that God can be trusted. You see, the fight of the Christian faith is the fight to believe that Jesus is enough. And the person who is, you think about the person who is freest to give, the person who is so liberal with their giving, 
The person who's freest to give is the person who understands what they've been given. The person most eager to provide for others is the person who realizes what they already possess and what has already been provided for them. The more that the gospel soaks in, it's the, the more our lives are transformed and the more that we are set free. The gospel transforms our mindset from believing I need to get, it transforms it to I get to give. Transforms our mindset from believing I need to get, I need to get, give me, give me, I need, to I get to give. I want to invite the band to come back up. I'm going to close with this excerpt that I came across a few years ago. And I've read this before, but I think it, it beautifully just sets up and describes how the gospel sets us free and what it begins to look like as our hearts become changed by the gospel. He writes, Because of the gospel, we have nothing to prove, <laughs> nothing to prove or protect. We can stop pretending. We can take off our masks and be real. The gospel frees us from trying to impress people, appease people, measure up for people, or prove ourselves to people. The gospel frees us from the burden of trying to control what other people think about us. It frees us from the miserable, unquenchable pursuit to make something of ourselves by using others. When you understand that your significance, your security, and your identity are all anchored in Christ, you don't have to win. You're free to lose. And nothing in this broken world can beat a person who isn't afraid to lose. Now you can spend your life giving up your place for others instead of guarding it from others because your identity is in Christ, not your place. Now you can spend your life going to the back instead of trying to get to the front because your identity is in Christ, not your position. Now you can spend your life giving, not taking, because your identity is in Christ, not in your possessions. Real, pure, unadulterated freedom happens when the resources of the gospel smash any need, any sense of need to secure for myself anything beyond what Christ has already secured for me. God, I pray this morning, Lord, that that truth, the truth of who you are, what you've done, the things that you have said, Lord, that that would begin to and continue to drive itself down deep into our hearts, Lord. Every one of us here, God, needs a, a, a reminder, Lord. We all have unbelief. We all struggle with unbelief in, at some level. Unbelief in your promises. Unbelief in, in who you are. Unbelief in what you have done and how that has actually changed us. And our unbelief causes us to try to go and do for ourselves what only you can do and have done for us in Christ. Lord, I pray that the truth of your grace, your love for us, Lord, that that would be what is filling our tanks. Lord, without, without your love for us, without your grace, our engines just conk out. We get frustrated. We, we give up. But Lord, because of, of who you are and what you've done, we have reason to, to rejoice in any and every situation, all circumstances, everything that we're facing right now, Lord. 
Thank you for, for being faithful. And God, I pray that you would just increase our, our ability to trust you and to trust that Jesus is enough. We love you. Praise in your name.